Good morning, church family. Great to be with you this morning and to see many of you new faces, familiar faces. So glad to be here and to worship with you and to take some time this morning to open the Word of God together. And so uh, if you have your Bible with you this morning, and we hope that you do, would you open with us now to Acts chapter 26? That's where we're going to be spending our time this morning primarily is in Acts chapter 26. Well, good morning, Pastor Jerry. Well, good morning, Brandon. What kind of week did you have? It was a good week. It was, it was full of a lot of events, but it was good. You got your car back this week that's I been did. in the shop for how long? Uh, we've been working on this two months. Two months? Yeah. The engine went out in his van, and so he had to replace the engine in his van, and it's taken about two months for that to happen. Yeah. And so that stress is behind us? I hope so. We had to take it back up one more time already to get it tweaked, and so uh, I hope that we're done now. So okay. we have it back right now. You know, my challenge this week was... I woke up one morning and my back was like not cooperating hmm. and uh and so anyway and then the other challenge that I had this week is, is uh, as far as emotionally was my youngest son uh Will and Allie and my two granddaughters who are age two and under uh they moved to California and they stayed with us the night before they moved and you know, I'm anticipating how painful that's going to be when I watch him drive off, mm -hmm. and it was. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, w I wept like a baby, mm -hmm. well, you know. But then I felt better mm -hmm. after I wept like a baby. Yeah. Because I've learned that grief is better expressed than held in. Right. And so, anyway, they made it to California safely and began their new life there and their new yeah. home there in San Diego. And if you don't know, he's in the Navy in San Diego, my youngest son. And uh, so they began their new life together. Yeah. And uh, it's part of the journey of it. That's your youngest, your baby. Yeah, that's home. the baby. Yeah. Exactly. Well, this morning, I get to tell the story to you this morning. And uh, I'm going to uh, just give you an overview of it, really. And then we'll refer back to it in the text. But our messenger this morning that we're focusing on is the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is uh, arguably uh, the most notable and most successful uh, messenger that the Lord chose to be a messenger of his gospel message. Uh, you know, I would say that the Apostle Paul is responsible for us being here today because he was called to take the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles away from the Jews. And I think all of us here this morning are Gentiles. And so we're all the fruit of Paul's labors ultimately. But Paul was an incredible uh, man of God, but, you know, he, uh, he wasn't always a follower of Jesus. And so we have the story of his conversion three different times in the book of Acts. Isn't that incredible? Three different times Paul's story of his conversion is told. It must be significant when, when some story is told three different times. Mm -hmm. And I won't tell you the story, but I'm going to tell you what happened toward the end of his journey and uh, toward the end of his journey, after he had been on a number of what we call uh, missionary journeys, there was actually three major ones that he went on, and he had planted all kinds of churches, and the gospel had been spread to countless number of people throughout the region of what we call Turkey today, and um, what, what was called Macedonia back then. And so he had this broad ministry through these three missionary journeys. And he created quite a stir because of his preaching and his teaching and his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said that he had seen Jesus, actually seen Jesus after Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus had appeared to him. And so he was a very controversial figure. And even, you know, in the church, he was controversial because the Jews in the church would accuse him of, of telling the Gentiles they didn't have to keep the law of Moses which, by the way, we don't. And I'm grateful that we don't have to practice the law of Moses, the ceremonial laws of Moses, and all that sacrificial system has been displaced by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, it was uh, as a result of his preaching and teaching, he got in trouble. And his trouble began after his missionary journeys. He was in Jerusalem. And you can read about it in Genesis, I mean in Acts 22, 
how he went up to Jerusalem to meet with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And they said to him, look, you know, there's some of our Jewish brothers that are very uh, disappointed in you because of the controversy that you're creating. And we want you to show that even though you're, you know, being faithful to the gospel of Jesus, that you still are a Jew by nationality and you believe in the practices of the Jew. And so he went to the temple to demonstrate his loyalty to the Jews. But while he was in the temple, there was a group from Asia that drew up a crowd against him and they seized Paul there in the temple area and they arrested him. And that began a journey for Paul in Acts 22, which sort of culminates in some ways in Acts 26. So after he's arrested, he finds out that there's this group of Jews that aren't believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're very committed to their Jewish faith, and they've, they've sworn a vow that they're not going to eat any food or they're not going to drink anything until they kill Paul. And so this message gets to the leaders of the, of the Roman authorities who've, who've arrested Paul, and, and they really arrested him to save his life because he was about to be killed in the temple area. And so they decide that they're going to gather this large band of soldiers and they're going to move Paul from Jerusalem to the coast on the Mediterranean coast in Caesarea and that Paul would be safer there. And, and in the process, they, they moved him there. And after they moved him there, uh, he was there for two years in Caesarea. In Caesarea, uh, he was under... Some kind of arrest, we don't know if it was in a prison cell or house arrest, but he, had, he didn't have freedom to go where he wanted to go. And so he was there for two years. And then after two years, the government uh, of Judea changed. And a guy named Felix, who was the governor of Judea, uh, he was out. And, uh, and a new governor was in, and his name was Festus. And Festus was now going to make a decision on what was going to happen to Paul. And he didn't know what to do. Because he had heard the charges that were made against him. And so he had decided, you know, I don't know what to do. Paul had appealed for a trial before Caesar in Rome. Because he didn't think he was going to get a fair trial in, in Judea. And he was right. You know, they, all that was there was people that wanted to kill him. And they didn't care if he was guilty or innocent. They wanted him dead. And so he appealed to Caesar in Rome. And as a result of that, Festus, the governor of Judea, he wanted to have reasonable charges to go to this expense to send Paul clear to Rome to be tried. And he couldn't find any reasonable charges against him. And so Festus had a visitor. His visitor was named King Agrippa. Now, Agrippa didn't have, we had very limited authority in the land of Israel at that time. Most of his authority was outside of Israel. And this guy was a really, really wicked guy. And he came from a really, really wicked family. In fact, his grandfather, Herod the Great, murdered several of his own sons and several of his own wives. And we don't even know exactly how many wives that he had, but he killed a number of them he, he felt was being disloyal to him. Well, so Herod Agrippa, he brought with him to Caesarea uh, Bernice. Bernice was his sister. And tradition says that he was having an ancestral relationship with her. And so Festus says, I want you, King Agrippa, to hear this guy, Paul. And I want you to see if there's any charge that's worthy that I could say to Caesar, yeah, this guy needs to be tried. And I want you to hear him. And Agrippa said, I want to hear him. I've heard all about him. Now, Agrippa, King Agrippa, came from the Herodian line of kings, and they were not Jews, but they were forced to be Jews by the Hasmonean dynasty many years before. And so they weren't true Jews, but they knew the Old Testament. They had a familiarity with the Old Testament. And so they bring Paul before King Agrippa, and Bernice is her name, and, and, uh, and they bring him before them, and Festus, and they're trying to find out what in the world are we going to say to Caesar about Paul that's worthy of him being charged. And that's where our story begins. That's the background. That's the background. 
Now, the rest of the story is in Acts 26, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit about it. I'm not going to read it to you. It's a, it's a long if we read it. But in this story, uh, here they are. They're in this royal uh, place, and, and, uh, and, and here's uh, uh, King Agrippa and Festus, and, and, uh, and he comes before, uh, Paul comes before them, and he says, okay, Paul, it's time for you to speak. You know what Paul does? He starts witnessing. Come on. His life is in danger. And instead of standing up and trying to refute the charges that have been made against him one by one, like you would do in a normal court of law, what Paul begins to do is witness to whoever's listening. And what he does in Acts 26 is he retells his story. It's the third time that's told in the book of Acts. And he talks about his life before Christ, how he was a Pharisee, and he was so committed to the Jewish faith and the Jewish religion, and how he was you know, zealous to practice all the traditions of his forefathers. And he even called himself at one point faultless when it came to practicing those traditions. And how he had been commissioned by the Sanhedrin to go down to Damascus, and there in Damascus, he was supposed to basically round up Christians to, be, to arrest them and to possibly even execute some of them. But while he was on the road to Damascus, he told this story that suddenly the bright light appeared to him, and it was so bright that it caused him to kneel to the ground, and, and then he saw the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus spoke to him, and it was right there in that place that the Apostle Paul said he believed that Jesus was Lord. Well, I'd believe too, you know. I, and he believed that Jesus was Lord right there. And so he talked about his life before he came to know Christ. He talked about how he, how he came to know Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then he told Festus and Agrippa, he told them about his life after he received Christ. And after he told his story, King Agrippa said, all of your learning has caused you to go crazy. That's basically what he said. You're insane. And he said, no, 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 no. I am not insane. And then he looked at Agrippa and he said to Agrippa, Agrippa, King Agrippa, he said, you know the prophets and what the prophets say about the Messiah, how he must suffer and die for the sins of the world and of the nation. You know the prophets. And Agrippa said, Paul, are you trying to convert me too? Well, that's exactly what Paul was trying to do. And Paul said, I wish that not only you would be converted, but everyone else would be converted to the truth that Jesus is Lord and he died for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven. Well, that's the story from God's word. So, what can we learn from this particular story, yep. Brandon? What an incredible story this is of the Apostle Paul and his, and his witness. And he finds himself in such difficult circumstances that were really in many ways outside his control. I mean, think about this. Just because he was a follower of Jesus, he lost two years of his life there in Caesarea. Yeah just because he was a follower of Jesus. And then he spends two years in prison or in house arrest and doesn't have that free will. And now he's standing before an evil ruler who has this bad track record, okay? So he's kind of finding himself in a situation like Stephen. Remember messenger number two? And we talked about Stephen. And when Stephen stood before those evil rulers, what ended up happening to him? Well, his life was taken from him. And Saul, who is Paul in this story after his conversion, approved of the death of Stephen at that time. And now here he is finding himself in a similar situation. And what does he do? He stands up and he witnesses. He's the messenger that God wants him to be. So what can we learn about being a messenger of God from the life of Paul? And here it is. Paul believed that God was using difficult circumstances in his life to fulfill his mission as a messenger. That's what Paul believed. Paul believed that God was using the difficult circumstances in his life in order to work things out so that Paul could fulfill the mission that Jesus had given him to be his messenger. Paul had 
faith that God was using these events to put him in a place with people that God wanted Paul to speak to those particular people, even though his circumstances were really, really tough, even though it was very difficult. So church, if you're going to write something down this morning and you're only going to write one thing down, that's it. That's the main idea right there of the whole story that we shared with you this morning. Paul believed that God was using difficult circumstances in his life to fulfill his mission as a messenger. So the challenge to us is, do you believe that? Do I believe that about me? Paul believed it. He demonstrated it in this story, didn't he? The, the challenge is, okay, let's talk about our faith. Do we believe that? You know, there's, there's so many circumstances that we experience that we just can't control. Everybody say amen to that, right? Amen. So many that we can't control. Mm. And what God wants us to have as his messengers is that he wants us to have faith like Paul's faith. Mm-hmm. And he wants us to believe that God is using whatever thing that we can't control that's difficult in our life to fulfill his mission in our life as his messenger. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's his purpose, is to put us in a place and with the people through these difficult circumstances that he wants us to be a messenger to in our lives. You know, some of those circumstances that we experience that we can't control is that we get sick or our loved ones get sick, and so we have to go to the doctor or we have to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And we can't control that, I guess. I guess we could not go and not receive treatment. Mm -hmm. But we can't control whether or not we get sick. It's, you know... During the course of our life, that's going to happen. No matter what we do to take care of ourselves, there's going to be times where that happens to us. And then when our car breaks down like yours did, and then you have to do, you got to make a decision, you're either just going to let it be broke right, or you're going to fix it. But typically, it's, if it's worth fixing, we're going to take it to a repairman to get it fixed. And so here's a situation once again uh, I wish that my car never broke down. Right. And, uh, and, but it's going to happen. And then uh, when something breaks in our house, what do we need to do? M- most of us have to do this, unless you're Greg Werner. We've got to call a repairman. We've got to call a repairman, you know, to fix whatever is broken. So here's another circumstances that's outside of our control. You know, if you're a young person and, you know, you're enrolling in school, Uh, you really have very little control about who your teachers are going to be or what students you're going to be with in that classroom. Mm -hmm. So life is just filled with circumstances that happen to us that are really outside of the realm of our control. And that's what Paul was experiencing in this story. Yeah, He was experiencing something that he really couldn't control. They were elaborate circumstances, and they were very difficult for Paul. Yeah. And, and when we find ourselves in these types of circumstances, it can be very difficult. I, the last two months has been pretty difficult for our family. I'm not going to compare mine to Paul and what he was going through, but it's been difficult. It's an emotionally taxing, sometimes tempted to respond the wrong way, maybe sometimes said something I wish I wouldn't have said in the process, you know, of this, uh, just complaining about it because it's, it's difficult. It's very challenging. But in all circumstances, God wants us to believe that he is sovereign. We're going to talk about that word. God wants us to believe that he is sovereign and that he is using the difficult circumstances in our life to place us where he wants us to witness and with whom he wants us to witness to. We are his messengers. So Paul believed that God was sovereign in his own life. He Mm. didn't believe that he was there in that prison in Caesarea by accident. Mm -hmm. He believed that God had, had used the circumstances of life to get him there. And he believed that God was sovereign. What does it mean uh, to be sovereign? You know, the word sovereign is just simply means to be ruler or king is what the word means, to be ruler or king. But when ascribed to God, the, the word is used to describe much more than just God's position. It ascribes to God much more than just his position because why? 
Because God is not just an ordinary king. Mm -hmm. God has these divine attributes, and those divine attributes are what? Yeah, there's several about him. And you know, what God wants us to do is he wants us to have faith like Paul. And in order for us to have faith like Paul, we must believe that God is sovereign. That is what Paul believed. He believed God is sovereign. And so we're going to talk about that word. And then we must believe that God is seeking to save the lost through us. So let's look at this first one. God is sovereign. And when we, when we think about what it means that God is sovereign, we need to understand that God is very different than us. God is not like us. Now, there's some attributes, there's some parts of God's nature that we can reflect. We can, we can mimic those things. Never to the fullness. God is infinite. So let me give you an example. Love is an attribute that we can reflect. It's something that God is like, and we can be like him when it comes to love. We can reflect love to others. I could never reflect the perfect love that Jesus has. I can never reflect the perfect love of God, the infinite love of God. But as I grow and through the process of sanctification, I can act more like God. I can, I can reflect him. But there, did you know that there are some attributes about God that we just can't even begin to copy? We can't even begin to be like him. He's so other than us. He's so different than us. He is God and we are not. So some of those attributes, what are they? Well, here's three that God is like this and we are not. God is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. Those are three that God is. These are attributes of his nature. And I want to tell you what these mean. Okay, God is omniscient. It means that God knows everything. Imagine that. God knows everything. And I am using that word absolutely on purpose. There's not one thing that God doesn't know. He knows all the details of your life, and he knows all the details of my life, and all the details of Pastor Jerry's life, and of all the people on the other side of the planet, and all their thoughts, and all the intentions of their heart, and all the workings of the world, and everything about our universe and our earth. There is not one detail that he is not aware of. Isn't that otherly? It's not like us at all. I can't even begin. That would overwhelm me. It would kill me. If I had that for just a second, it would overwhelm me so much to have all that knowledge. But God has it all the time. This is who he is. He is omniscient. He knows everything. And then God is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. What does that mean? God is present everywhere at the same time. The psalmist talks about this. He says, if I go to the highest mountain, you are there. If I go to the lowest valley, you are there. I, there is nowhere that I can go to escape the presence of God. God is everywhere at all times. So not only does he know everything, but he is always everywhere all at once. That's very different than me. I am not, I'm right here and that is it. You know, well, we learned a few weeks ago, I'm also seated with Christ in the heavenly places and that is my spiritual reality. But physically right here, I'm with you and that's it. I can't be somewhere else and here. I am just here. And then omnipotent, God has unlimited power, unlimited power. And so you take these three things and this is who God is. This is his nature. He's very different than us. And here's how that impacts what we're talking about right now. God's sovereignty exceeds our comprehension. Look at those three things and consider how powerful God is. Sovereignty is more than just in the sense when we talk about God being sovereign. He's not just a, a king or a ruler. He knows everything all at once. He's everywhere all at once, and he has unlimited power. Who is like the Lord our God? He is sovereign. He is in control. He is the creator of all things. He is the king of kings. Everyone and everything are subject to his will and to his power. He is the blessed controller of all things. So Paul understood that like King Agrippa and Festus had limited authority over what happened to him, but he also believed that God was sovereign over Festus and King Agrippa and that ultimately God had the final say in what happened to him. That's right. No matter what they decided, God had the final say. Yeah. And so he rested in God's sovereignty as a messenger 
of God. And he believed that God was not just the ruler of the universe and the galaxies and had the control of everything. He believed that God had personal control over his own life, that he was sovereign over his own personal life. Paul believed that. And he believed that every circumstance in his life was subject to this sovereign God's control that he believed in. He believed that there was no act of nature or act of mankind that could harm him without God's approval. He believed his arrest and his imprisonment were approved by God. Now, he didn't agree with the justice of it, mm -hmm. but he still believed that God was in control of that right. and it was approved of God. He believed, uh, he knew that what was happening to him in that moment, in that difficult circumstance, was not just a coincidence. Paul believed that his suffering was the will of God yeah. for his life. He believed that. And God had even personally visited Paul at one point before this happened and told him that, hey, I'm going to use these circumstances to get you to Rome. Yeah. So Paul really had that, you know, another way we could say it is that Paul believed that there was a bigger picture and that God was in control yeah. of that bigger picture, that he could trust God with the bigger picture, that even though the suffering was happening, that God had not somehow lost sight of him, that God had not somehow accidentally let something bad happen to Paul, but that God was working out his purposes. You know, when Paul suffered, he did not respond this way. He didn't say, why is this happening to me? And it's natural to ask that question, it but is. that's not what Paul focused on. No, I mean, haven't you asked that question before? I mean, let's be honest, at least in your heart, if not verbally, why is this happening to me? Oh, I'm just so frustrated. Why did this have to happen this way? It's a very natural response, but what we're learning from the story of Paul is a different way of thinking and this takes great intentionality on your part when you're tempted to ask that question oh why is this happening to me of all people you know I'm a pretty good person or whatever you might fill in the blanks there why is this happening to me that's not how Paul responded Paul responded by praying God show me what you are doing he was confident in the sovereignty of God he trusted that God had this all figured out. When he faced difficult circumstances, Paul expected God to use him as a messenger to others. I mean, that's exactly what he did when he stood in that courtroom, right? When he was standing before those rulers and they, they had him on trial, instead of trying to defend himself, he stood up and he was a messenger. We will not be the messengers God wants us to be, church, unless we share Paul's faith in this spiritual reality that God is sovereign, that he is in control of every aspect, that he hasn't lost sight of you. He hasn't accidentally overlooked your suffering or your situation, that he is sovereign over all these things and he is working out his plan to make you more like Jesus and to send you out as his messenger to other people because when circumstances grow dark, the light shines brightest in those dark circumstances. Yeah, last week we learned from the life of Philip that in order to be the messenger that God wants us to be, that we have to go to the place that God wants us to go. And then we have to share with the people that God wants us to share with. Mm -hmm. That we have to be surrendered and then God would lead us. Well, the truth is there's times where God puts us yeah. right in the place. You don't get the choice. That you don't have the choice. He exercises his sovereignty, mm. and he uses the circumstances of our life, which can be very difficult, and he puts us in this place where he wants us to be his messenger. And so the second thing that we have to believe in order to be an effective messenger for God, besides the fact that he's sovereign, is that we must believe that God is seeking to save the lost through us. That's right. That we're actually the vessel of his message, the gospel, yeah. so that others might be saved through us. And obviously, Paul believed that was true, right? Yeah. I mean, when he stood before Agrippa and Festus, it wasn't like, why am I here? It was like, I know why I'm here. Yeah. I'm here to be the vessel of the gospel to these two very unbelieving folks mm -hmm. and others that were listening at that moment. So, you know... Why should we believe that God wants us to be this messenger to share the gospel with others? Well, first of all, Jesus made it very clear 
that he was fulfilling God's sovereign purpose for his life by saying this, and it's in John chapter 5, and it's in verse uh, 19. It says this, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. And then he went on to say uh, this in Luke 19.10. He described God's sovereign purpose in his life this way. He said, for the Son of Man, and the Son of Man is Jesus in the, in the Bible, the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which is lost. Hmm. In other words, Jesus himself as the Son of Man, even though he was God, he submitted himself to the sovereignty of the Father for his life. He only did what the Father was doing, and he, and he understood that what the Father was doing was through him, he was seeking to save those that were lost. Yeah. Well, the Apostle Paul believed the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And when we look at the life of, of Jesus, and I've been pondering his life this week because Jesus was Paul's example. Jesus is who Paul was looking to to understand this truth about his own life. And I want you to think, do you agree with this passage of Scripture that Jesus just did with the thought what he saw the Father doing? Is that your personal view? Do you believe that? And do you believe that God was using him to seek and save that which was lost? Well, consider the life of Jesus. By following the will of the Father, he ended up dying on a cross. God led him to that place. And Jesus knew that that was the Father's plan, that he would suffer. And Jesus had said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. Wow, what a faith Jesus had. And here's Paul, and he's looking at Jesus. And he's seeing, how does the Father operate in the life of Jesus? Oh, he led Jesus to suffer so that the gospel could be advanced, so that people could be saved. So like Jesus, Paul believed that this was God's sovereign purpose for his life too. Paul not only believed that God was sovereign in his life, but he believed that God was using every difficult circumstance that he experienced to seek and save the lost. That there wasn't one challenging moment in Paul's life where God was not sovereignly at work to use him to be a witness for Jesus. So when Paul was imprisoned against his will, what it, how did Paul see it? He, he said, well, God is trying to seek and save that which is lost. You know, in one of his letters, when he reported about his house arrest in Rome, he ends up going on to Rome, and he ends up house, under house arrest there. In one of his letters, he reports back, and he says, and many of the guards here have become saved. Exactly. He went to those prisons in Rome where, where he was being sent, and he was the messenger in Rome while he was in prison. Or when Paul was beaten and even stoned one time to the point that people thought that he was dead. Do you know what he did after he was stoned? Yep. He got right back up he and he walked right city. back into the same city and started witnessing again. What faith is that, right? I mean, if I don't believe it's the will of God for me to suffer ever, or if I don't think that God can use my suffering to be a messenger, if I ever get stoned, I'm like, well, I must not be doing God's will. Not. I'm out. Yeah, exactly. I'm out. Paul didn't believe that. He got right back up and walked right back into that city, and he was the messenger that he knew God had called him to be. Or when he was shipwrecked, he used it as an opportunity. He was shipwrecked many times. But later on in this story, he's on the way to Rome. He was shipwrecked, and he uses it as an opportunity, and the Holy Spirit works powerfully in Paul, and people hear the gospel and are getting saved even on the ship, even during a shipwreck on their way to Rome. In all circumstances, Paul believed that God was sovereignly working in his life so that other people would see Jesus and be saved. He believed that he could not endure any suffering that God was not in control of and that God was not working through. So he just put his focus on Jesus and trusted him. Yeah, this wasn't the first time, as Brandon said, that Paul had been arrested. There's another story. I believe it's in Acts 16. But there's a story where Paul is in prison, and I believe he's with Paul and Silas. And they're in prison. They're in chains in prison. And what do they do? Well, at midnight, they're singing hymns of praise unto God. Yeah. He had this complete faith that God was sovereign in his life and the reason that he was in that prison was to what witness witness yeah and so they decided to witness by singing him I don't know if I'd recommend that or not but singing hymns unto God at midnight you know while people are trying to sleep and as a result you remember the story there's an earthquake and the chains of all the prisoners fall off and what does people uh, Paul do he witnesses to who? Yeah, the, the jailer. jailer. 
Yeah, instead of taking off, he could have just taken off. Yeah, no, no. He He's, knew he was there yeah. to share with the jailer, and he shares with the jailer, and then the jailer wants his whole family to hear. So they, the jailer takes Paul and, and out to, to his family, and the whole family gets saved. Yeah, and all baptized. And it was all because Paul believed that God was sovereign in his circumstances, and he believed that he was sent by God to share the gospel of Jesus with others no matter what circumstance he was in in his life. Incredible. It is. It really stands directly opposed to the prosperity gospel that says, oh, do all the right things and you'll never suffer. If you're just doing the right things or having the right faith, Paul's worldview, Jesus' worldview was not that. They believed that God was sovereign even in their suffering and they used the opportunity that suffering brought to give God glory and to be a light in dark places. So if we don't have this kind of faith when we go through these difficult circumstances, then what's going to happen is we're just going to focus on the circumstance mm -hmm. that we're experiencing. We're going to be looking for the quickest way to get out of the circumstance, to fix the circumstance, to fix the problem, and we're totally going to miss what God is wanting to do through us with other people in the midst of the circumstance. Yeah, we'll be asking, why is this happening to me? And Instead stay focused of God, there. what are you doing? What are you doing, mm -hmm. God? In my life, I remember, you know, it's we're coming up now on how many years since 2007. We're coming up on this is year what 15 since Debbie passed away, and I I remember it so vividly and uh, where she looked at her circumstance from Paul's perspective, mm -hmm. and as I walked that journey with her, I was amazed at her faith. For those who don't know, this is your late wife. Yeah, yeah, she had terminal cancer. And for those eight months that she lived after she was diagnosed, she was focused upon being used of God to share the gospel. And it didn't matter if she went to treatment. It didn't matter if she was in the hospital. Uh, I, I saw one conversation after another that she was having with people about Jesus because she believed this was true. Yeah, she did. She believed that... God was sovereign over her circumstance, and God wanted to use her in her circumstance. And at one point, what she said was, she said, if God can use this to save others, so be it. Yeah. That's what she said. Wow. That's faith. That's the kind of faith I want. Yeah. That's the kind of faith that Paul had. That's the kind of faith we all need as we go through this journey as messengers in order to be effective messengers for Jesus Christ. Absolutely. You know, we will not be a messenger like Paul unless we believe that God is sovereign and that he is seeking to save the lost through us and that he will use our difficult circumstances so that we can be that kind of light to others. So because Paul believed these truths about God, he was prepared to give an answer for the reason of the hope <laughs> that was in him. Don't you see that in this story? Whenever he was standing before those rulers, he wasn't just there thinking, okay, I'm going to say, hey, I don't think I'm going to get a fair trial here, so I'm just not going to say much. I just want to go see Caesar. Yeah, don't you, don't you see the connection? If you believe God is sovereign and that he's chosen you to be a messenger, that you're going to be very motivated to, to prepare yourself, to share. It's like Paul was like, you know, when Agrippa said, okay, Paul, Tell us your story. He's like, I thought you'd never ask. Yes. Here we go. It was like, this is my moment. This, this is, is my, my moment. time to shine. And he was ready to share that message. And that's what followers of Christ do when they believe this truth. They prepare themselves. They're ready in season and out of season. They prepare themselves for the opportunity because, you know what? When you're going through a difficult circumstance and I share, I mean, that's still good, right? But when you're going through the difficult circumstance and you're the one to share, you're the one to express your faith in God, you're the one to express confidence in God and to worship him even in your darkest moment, my goodness, what a light, what a witness, what a testimony. So we've got to be ready in season and out of season to share. That's what Peter talked about in 1 Peter 3, 13 through 15. It says, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good. So he's saying, hey, do good, and, you know, people won't generally harm you. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. He's telling them, trust in God, purpose to believe in God, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you, a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. 
you know, we don't expect people that just come to know Christ instantly to have this kind of faith. What we've discovered about spiritual maturity is that it's a process where we go from being a spiritual infant in our faith to being a spiritual child in our faith. And then as we continue to grow, we become a spiritual young adult in our faith. And then as we continue to grow, we become a spiritual parent in our faith. But our goal should be to get to that parent stage. Yeah. And that's where Paul was. Yeah. And when you're at the parent stage of your faith, you believe in the sovereignty of God, and you believe that God is using your circumstances in order to get you, uh, to, to put you in a place to share the truth with other people. Yeah. And so God is working in all of our lives to mature us, to get us to a point where we have that kind of faith. And if we're not there yet... You just be acknowledging, I'm not there yet. You know, there's a problem with my faith that still needs to be corrected. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a part of growing in faith. Say, so, you know, I'm just not there yet. But what do you need to do if you're not there yet? Well, what we've discovered about growing in faith is we need each other to do that. Yeah, we do. We can't grow in faith in isolation. I'm going to say it again. You cannot grow in your faith in isolation you can't just take your Bible and go off in prayer, isolate yourself from the church of Jesus Christ and grow in your faith. No, we grow in faith by our relationship with one another. And that's why we have small groups. Yeah. It's so that we all have a place to grow in our faith and, and to be honest and say, you know, I'm not there. Where pastor was preaching this morning, I'm not there yet. Mm. But I want to get there. I want you guys to help me get there. You know what? If we have that kind of openness to God, he will help us get there. He will. And when we gather in small groups, what do we do every time? We center our meeting around the Word of God. This process of maturing in your faith, one of the Bible words for that is the word sanctification. And it just simply means this process of looking more like Jesus, growing in your faith. And you know what Jesus said? He said, he prayed to the Father for the church, and he said, Father, sanctify them, make them like me, make them like you, sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth. We grow in this faith together, and we grow in this faith by focusing our minds on the truth of God's word. Did you, you can take a leap forward in your own faith right now by looking at this story that we just shared with you from God's word this morning and looking at Paul and saying, you know what? I haven't been like that when it comes to suffering, but I want to be like that. I want to be like Paul when it comes to suffering because I believe he was like Jesus. I want to trust God in the midst of difficult circumstances and be a witness to other people around me instead of complaining or trying to, trying to just get through it, you know, or, or, or grumbling about the circumstances. The natural things. So the natural things. Has there ever been a time in your journey, you consider yourself to be a Christian, has there ever been a time in your journey where you experienced a difficult circumstance in your life and you trusted in the sovereignty of God, and you said, God, what are you doing? What do you want to do through me in this circumstance? Has there ever been a moment like that where that's happened to you? We want you to get there. Mm -hmm. Now, if you've never been there before, it's a, it's a time to reflect and ask the question, okay, I've never been there before in my life. I, you know, Am I really the genuine article? Mm. Am I really a believer in Jesus? Do yeah. I really know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have I ever met Jesus? Have I ever surrendered myself to him and, and faith to him and really trusted in him? And I believe that there's some folks here this morning that haven't ever done that. Yeah. You've never come to that point of really surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to do that today. Yeah. See, I don't believe it's an accident that you're here this morning. No. Whoever you are. I believe that you're here by the sovereign will of God yeah. to hear this message and to be presented with the opportunity to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. So will you do that? If you've never, ever received Jesus before, will you do that right now? You say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, he's here. He's ever-present, right? He's ever-present, so he can hear your thoughts. He can hear your heart. He knows what's going on inside of you. Right now, just communicate with him. Just say, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Savior and Lord for the forgiveness of my sin. That's what I did 50 years ago. And Jesus came into my life, and I've been walking with him ever since. And that's what he wants for you. Will you do that? And I'll be walking with him for all of eternity. And Amen. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Are you looking forward to that? Because you know that you know that when you die, you're going to be with Jesus for all of eternity. If you don't, Look, reach out to him right now. 
If you have reached out to him and you know that you know that you're in Christ, then perhaps the problem with your faith is that you just haven't believed that God is sovereign in your life. You might think God is sovereign over the world and he's sovereign over the end of time and he's sovereign over the universe, but you haven't believed that he's sovereign over your life. Will you say right now, Lord, I'm going to believe right now because of your word that you're sovereign over my life. Whatever circumstance enters my life, you're in control of it, you're over it, and I'm going to rest in your sovereignty. That's an important decision to make. And then last, perhaps the problem is that you haven't really seen yourself as being like a worthy vessel that God can use to save others. Mm. Well, come on. The Apostle Paul, he was a murderer. He was responsible for the deaths of innocent people. He wanted to commit a genocide against all Christians before he was saved. Mm. I mean, you can't have a more murderous heart than what he had. And God forgave him, and he called himself the chief of sinners. Don't you think God will forgive you for whatever you've done? He says that he will. It doesn't matter what it is. No matter how egregious your sin has been, God will save you. And then you know what? He wants to use you to save others. That's right. He wants to use you to be his messenger. And you know, if you've committed some egregious sin in your life, You know what God wants to do? He wants to do through you what he did through Paul. You've got a great story if you're saved from sin. That's right. And he wants wants to use you to share your story of that salvation with as many people as possible before you die. That's right. That's why I just keep sharing my story. That's the best tool I have in order to lead other people to Christ is just tell them my story about what God did in my life and my relationship with my father many years ago that's the best thing you have that's the best tool you have what a wonderful thing to know that no matter how egregious your sin and no matter how serious society thinks it is (laughs) send sin to God and he forgives and he gives you salvation if you'll just trust in him that's right lead us just look at those three things which one do you need to respond to this morning? Would you ask the Lord, where am I in this response to this message from your word? And I think we would be amiss if we didn't give an opportunity to anyone who is here who knows right now, well, where I'm at is I need to believe on Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. I need his Holy Spirit to come and change me to make me more like him. This is not a work that we can do on our own. It's a work that he does in us. So we wanna give you that opportunity to respond this morning to Jesus, to put your faith and your confidence in him, to trust him, to forgive your sins and to take that next step. My favorite part in this story this morning is when Agrippa stops Paul. And he says, Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul says, not only you, whether short or long, not only you, but I wish that everyone who hears these words of mine would become exactly as I am except for these chains. Paul was expressing his desire because he knew the goodness of God. He knew how God had forgiven him, and he wanted that same kind of forgiveness for all these other people, including Agrippa, who needed it desperately. We all need his forgiveness desperately. Would you just acknowledge that this morning? And would you turn your heart to Jesus? Pastor Hugh, would you be willing to stand for us and just work your way to the back to the join a group wall? And we're going to, I'm going to close in prayer and Seth is going to lead us in a song. And the song we're going to sing, church, this song's for you. Because about being the, mis- the messengers that God wants us to be. And so when we sing, you sing and seek the Lord on your response. But as we sing, if you know, I haven't trusted in Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I haven't decided that I'm going to follow him and make him the Lord of my life. Then while I pray and while we sing, God is here. He has shown up for you and you are not here by accident. His sovereignty brought you here today. Would you respond to Jesus? 
And would you do that by going to talk to Pastor Hugh? And he would love to pray with you and just hear anything that's on your heart, anything at all. You go and share it, and he's there to visit with you. Pastor Jerry's also right down here. If you'd like to come talk to him, you can do that as well. But let's pray, and you come. Would everyone stand with us as we close in prayer? And if you want to go and talk to one of these pastors, you go right now. This is your invitation as we pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for the truth from your word. Thank you for how you use the word to move our hearts and how you bring us together so that we can focus on you. God, we pray that you would work in the hearts of every person here this morning. God, I pray first for those who know they need you, that right now their feet would move towards you, that they would move towards a conversation with one of these pastors and movement in their heart to trust in you for the forgiveness of sin and a new life in you. Now, Lord, I pray for your church. Lord, I don't know the circumstances each person is facing here this morning, but God, I know that you are all knowing and that you are always present. Not one situation has escaped your notice. I pray now for your people who are gathered here in this room. Lord, that you would bring to mind, and and for some, it's just right there on the front of their mind, any kind of suffering that they're experiencing right now. And that there would be a flip of perspective for them if they haven't been considering your sovereignty in the midst of their suffering, sovereignty that leads them to be your messengers, to be your light in dark places. Lord, I pray for each of their hearts. God, I ask that you would turn their hearts towards you, that they would worship you, God, and that they would choose to not miss the opportunities that come through suffering to proclaim the goodness of our God, but that our hearts would sing your praise from the midst of prison cells, that as we stand before those who persecute us, that we would declare the goodness of our God, that nothing that comes against us would shake our faith because we know that you are sovereign and that you are working in our lives to lead us, to send us, to be your messengers. God, increase our faith in you this morning as we worship you and as we close with this song, have your way in us. Let's sing together, church.